Hey guys, welcome to the very first episode of Zero to UX. This is the place where I have informal and honest conversations with amazing, inspiring designers. My name is Bernardo and today with me I have Trevor Denton. He works at companies such as Lonely Planet, Starbucks, Snapchat and now Quibi. And today we're going to talk a little bit about what's a product designer, what do they do, what are the fears they have, what's the routines they have. So, without further ado, let me present you Trevor Denton. Hey Trevor. Hey, how's it going? All good, man. Uh, welcome to the podcast and thanks for coming. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You're welcome, man. And so, as a way to start, maybe can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how did you got to UX? Sure. Yeah. Um, so... I'm, uh, I'm Trevor. I'm uh, based in Santa Monica, California. Um, I'm a product designer at Quibi. I've uh, been at Quibi for the past couple of years. Uh, started pretty early when it was, you know, still, still an idea. I don't even think Quibi was, was the given name yet at the time. Um, before that, I was at Snapchat, uh, also a product designer on the product design team. Um, and, you know, focused on a lot of different things over there. Uh, that team is, uh, fairly small and we all kind of shift around and work on different, uh, parts of the product, uh, specifically, I guess I was to get into it, uh, focused on some system design stuff, some e-commerce stuff and some of the, uh, profile, uh, holistic thinking and design. Uh, before Snapchat, uh, my wife, um, I should probably also mention, um, I'm a, I'm a dad. I have two kids, uh, Phoenix and Nova. Um, Phoenix is uh, about to turn five and Nova was just born right before all of the pandemic madness. So he's, uh, you know, new to the game. Um, but back to, uh, before Snapchat, I was living in Seattle, uh, with, with my wife and at the time, uh, our newborn Phoenix, um, and I was working at Starbucks, um, product design, um, and, you know, focusing on the core, uh, experience of the Starbucks app. Um, so that's a little bit of background on me. Um, and I can kind of get into like my entry into product design, which I would say is, uh, maybe a little unconventional depending on, you know, the designer you're talking to, I guess. I, I think we all have our own unique journey. Um, but for me, it was, uh, you know, this is back, uh, I was living in Nashville. It's where I've spent most of my, my time. Um, and it's music city. So everyone's playing music, playing in bands. And that was, that was totally me. I was playing music. I was singing in bands, uh, playing keys, um, playing shows all the time. And that was, that was my life. That was what I wanted to do full time was go on tour, be a musician. Uh, and I did a little bit of that. I, I did that, uh, post high school and, uh, went out with a few other bands and, um, you know, whether I was playing music or uh, doing, you know, running merch, uh, I was, I was always involved in music on the road, but, uh, after a certain point, uh, I, I had to make the decision, you know, what do I want to do long-term? And for me, 
fortunately, design was kind of an extra thing uh, that I that I was passionate about other than music. It was something that I um, did a lot in my spare time and I did freelance work and mostly did like branding and merch design. And at the time, MySpace was huge and heavily involved in the music scene. So that was kind of where I got my start and, and was teaching myself Photoshop and things like that. So um, that was that was like my entry point. But uh, shortly after, uh, things started becoming a little bit more real, like more serious, and I was taking it more seriously. And, um, you know, my music stuff had come to a halt. And my high school Spanish teacher, uh, Kate Higgy, she reached out to me and and said, you know, her husband is at this design agency and would I be interested in interviewing? And I was super intimidated because to me, web design, you know, I thought you needed to know how to code or be an engineer and, um, you know, also design websites. And so for someone who was just doing like some branding work and some t-shirt design and some light, like MySpace layout work, I, I, I just was kind of like, no, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how to design websites. I don't know how to code. And she encouraged me, uh, and convinced me I should just interview anyways. And, um, uh, and, and, and just at least meet with her husband and some of the other people at the agency. And, uh, I ended up doing that and got an interview somehow. And, uh, they asked me if I knew how to design websites, of course, cause that was the job. And I said, yes, of course, I, <laughs> I, I know how to design websites, even though I had never done it. Um, so I immediately called all my friends researched everything I could, watched every video, uh, just to learn uh, as much as I could in a short amount of time. And then I think I had some time. I had to have had some amount of time because I ended up mocking up some like web designs, like some, some like projects, I guess, to make it, you know, seem like I knew what I was doing somewhat. And uh, Anyways, I, I went forward with the interview. I met with some of the team and uh, somehow they, they were convinced like, okay, I guess this, this guy knows what he's doing. He's, he's, you know, an entry level, you know, he's new to it, but he knows what he's doing. And uh, I, I was hired and that was my uh, kind of first uh, entry into design. I don't even think product design was a thing at that point. This is like 2012. So um my role was a creative strategist and I, uh, I started at the agency and right off the bat, first client was Reba McIntyre. It's Nashville. She's a country music artist. And here I was designing her website, you know, when a couple of weeks prior, I'd like, <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing. So, yeah. um, I feel very fortunate to have been given that opportunity and to, um, to work on something that, fun and and I, I guess like that large uh, of a product of a project so um, that was really cool and and you know I learned a lot while I was there obviously I was around other designers and other uh, people that had been in the industry doing other things and um, that helped me a lot so that kind of felt like um, my education because I, I also uh, I don't think I mentioned this I, I was I went to college for graphic design for 
a year and I dropped out. I, I was like, I'm going to pursue freelance work because this is, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing my homework. I'm not finishing or, or, or exceeding at my schoolwork because I'm focused on, you know, balancing you know, and, and doing this freelance client work that I was doing on the side. So I decided I'm going to take a year off and see what happens. And, um, you know, the agency and the job happened and I ended up never going back. And, um, I wasn't sure at that point if that was like the best decision. I don't know if like, I recommend specifically like dropping out of school and, you know, crossing your fingers and, and hoping you, you get a job. But, um, and, and that's kind of what I meant by, I took the unconventional route. Um, but, uh, it, it somehow worked out, but, uh, yeah. So after the agency, which is called cabbage, uh, they're, they're non-existent anymore in Nashville, but, um, I ended up working at lonely planet by way of a friend of mine who had gotten a job there doing video editing. Uh, my friend, Seth Evans, a uh, great video editor and, um, yeah, they, they were looking to overhaul their you know, I don't know if you're from, I'm, you're probably familiar with Lonely Planet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah they, 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 they moved from Australia uh, to Nashville, um, to the United States. Yeah, it's, it was a wild thing. They were like sold to the BBC and then they were acquired by a private shareholder in, in the United States and they just moved the whole company there and they were trying to overhaul their, their book content to be digital. So they were looking to redesign their websites and come out with some mobile apps that were kind of the digital form of their uh, content that they've collected over, gosh, like decades. So there was a lot of stuff to be done. And um, yeah, my friend Seth was like, hey, you're working at Cabbage, like Lonely Planets here in Nashville now, like we're looking for designers. And I interviewed there and at that point, I felt somewhat confident that I could like, you know, um, be a designer there at a, at a different company. And it, it worked, that worked out and uh, started, started working for Lonely Planet, doing the web design and mobile apps. And um, that I, I really cut my teeth there learning how to design for mobile. And, and that was more when like the UI, UX product designer, you know, title stuff kind of was emerging and, and that became clear what at least to me at that time, what a product design, uh, what a product designer's role was and what product design was in general. And, um, got a lot of great experience. There are a lot of talented people that work there. Uh, and then, um, kind of taking a roundabout way of this story. But after Lonely Planet, I, I decided, uh, you know, I think it would be really cool to move out West. Uh, and uh, either whether that's Washington or California, it ended up being Washington and Seattle. Um, I interviewed with Starbucks and uh, became a product designer at Starbucks. And, um, you know, if I thought I uh, was getting a lot of experience at Lonely Planet or at Cabbage, um, you know, Starbucks was, you know, a completely different, on a completely different level um, just because it was my role was a product designer for the first time I was on a, you know, an, a product team. Uh, there was a lot of people. Um, the design team I think was only made up of maybe six to eight designers. 
but I, I, I had still, I wasn't used to that um, kind of, uh, you know, environment. And uh, I learned a lot about process and learned a lot about, you know, designing mobile apps in general and, you know, submitting to the app store and, you know, a whole bunch of things that I, that I hadn't experienced prior to that. Uh, and, and that really set me up for, I guess, where I am now and, and what I'm familiar with now. So, um, yeah, long-winded way of my, you know, of, of where I am and how I got here, but, but that's how it happens. Thanks for that, man. You know, that actually reminds me of how I got my first, my, my first internship in, in UX. So I applied for these like very early stage startup and I did the interviews and I got, I got like a, the internship. And in my first meeting after they told me I got the job, uh, they asked me to do like, they asked me like to do several tasks in Sketch. And at the time, man, I had no idea what the hell was Sketch. Oh yeah. <laughs> so I remember yeah. leaving that meeting and, and thinking like, man, I'm done. Like <laughs> they're gonna figure me out. Uh, there's no way, I have no idea how to use that. I don't even know what it is. So yeah, probably next week I'll, be, I'll already be jobless. <laughs> I guess I, I relate to this feeling of promising something but still not knowing how to do it and trying to figure out how to do it on the way. And this also brings me to one of the questions I, I kind of wanted to ask you, which is what do you think are the main differences between what aspiring designers typically think the day-to-day -day of a designer looks like and what that actually looks like in, in real life? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it's, I think it probably varies for, for everyone. Um, but for me, and it's funny you mentioned about sketch and like learning sketch because, uh, when I started, I was, I was saying like, you know, I, I taught myself Photoshop and try to figure it out. And I was designing websites on Photoshop when I started sketch didn't exist, but there wasn't any one tool that you know, was broadly used. I, I don't think maybe there was, maybe it was Photoshop, but I was using Photoshop and I yeah. think this is 2013. So it's when I joined Lonely Planet, this is when sketch was introduced to me. And, um, my manager at Lonely Planet was like, Hey, like, I think we're going to start using sketch. Do you feel good about it? I think it's pretty easy. Like, you know, illustrator and Photoshop, right? Like I figured it out in a week, you should download it. And like, start learning it. And so there was a moment where I was like, Oh my God, this is, this is going to be the end for me. If I don't figure this out, like I'm back at square one. Um, so I think it, that, uh, I guess experience or, or like lesson was, you know, kind of be prepared to learn or to, uh, yeah, like learn a new thing or a new skill set. Um, because I, I, I don't think I was, I was thinking that that was going to be, um, you know, a pattern at least in my career. And, and it's definitely been a pattern, like not only with sketch, but with other tools that emerge over time, like the past five years, like there have been so many different prototyping tools. And I mean, I, I don't even use sketch anymore. I use Figma now. Yeah. So, um, and I think that's true for, for a lot of different designers and, um, so I think one thing that's that that you don't 
know beforehand going in that you end up learning is um, things are going to change rapidly. The tools that you're going to use are going to change. The environment in which you use those tools are going to change. Um, the world is going to change. Products are going to change. So um, be open to that because I don't think I, I, not that I wasn't open. I just didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know yeah. how rapidly things were going to change or what I was going to have to learn along the way because part of me felt naively that, oh, I just need to learn how to design web stuff and then I'm good. And, and, and I just needed to do that for that one interview and then I'll, everything else will be, will be easy. And that's just not the case. Um, not only for design, but I think in general for any profession is like, don't assume that once you know a thing or know something that you know everything, just always, always be open to learning and always, uh, be a student and just try to grow, uh, which sounds cliche. And I mean, it is I, like, I, cause it's true. And, um, yeah, I think, I think that is one thing. Um, I would say another thing that I, um, experienced that I, I, you know, that they don't teach you, I guess, beforehand is, um, is all the stuff that's not related to design, right? Like, communication and collaborating with other people and understanding like, you know, the long-term goals and the, you know, how all the other moving parts coexist with what you're doing in design. There's just, it's, you know, as a designer, you're joining, you know, most of the time, I think you're, you're joining something that's much bigger than just the design aspect of it. There's, uh, it's, it's a business sometimes, it's a company, or um, there's, there's a lot of components to that. And that requires um, good communication skills and collaboration with, with other people, not only within your own you know, realm of design and other designers, but just with other people in the company because you need to work together to be successful. So that was something that I learned along the way um, and still try to get better at. Cool, man. Uh, so, to illustrate how maybe a product designer works um, and especially maybe try to put yourself in the shoes of an aspiring product designer, can you think of a problem that you've solved uh, in real life and what was that problem and how what was your process to solve it? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, I think one that comes to mind that uh, was a smooth process and that that felt really uh, fluid and, and felt good and, and it was a great experience for me was um, a project that I worked on at Starbucks. Um, we partnered with Spotify uh, to create a feature within the Starbucks app that allowed you to uh, see what was playing like what song was playing in a Starbucks cafe on your phone through the Starbucks app. So um, the idea is you go into a Starbucks, a lot of people uh, use their phone to pay through the, via the app. And there are some other things there's, you know, tracking your rewards inside the Starbucks app and um, your payments and your payment methods. And um, you know, the CEO at the time, Howard Schultz of the company was, interested in this, you know, partnership with Spotify, uh, 
as it relates to music, because Starbucks has always been involved in, in music. They sold CDs early on, um, you know, at the, at the front of the counter and, um, you know, they always play music in their cafes. And I think that's part of the Starbucks experience and that's why people like it. Mm -hmm. uh, one thing that kept coming up though, and you could debate whether this is like a, you know, uh, problem or not. It, 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 but, but to me, I viewed this, this as like a, uh, a nice enhancement to the, an already great experience, which is going into a Starbucks, um, is people come in and they hear something and they don't know, like, they, and they like it. They're like, oh, I've never heard this artist. Cause Starbucks plays a lot of artists that, you know, are emerging or upcoming up and coming. And I, uh, I've had that happen myself where I've like heard a song and I'm like, Oh my God, like, who is this? And I've asked the barista to check, like, can you tell me who's playing? And like, obviously there's, there's apps like Shazam that exist and that, you know, I've definitely used that, um, at various locations at Starbucks and, um, you can see who's playing, but, um, this idea that, you know, uh, people want to know it's playing and maybe you could take an action or, or interact with that song. Um, and, and, and that's where the partnership with Spotify came in. Right. So, um, we, uh, essentially designed an experience where you open the app, you hear a song, it shows you exactly what's playing and you can add it, um, to your Spotify playlist. So you don't like forget the song. You don't have to write it down. You don't have to type it in your phone. It just, it's on a playlist now and you can listen to it. Um, either right there in the store, you can start it over or you can walk out and listen to it. So again, like you could debate whether or not that's like solving a big problem or whether it even matters, like, you know, from like uh, a business perspective, like, I don't think it was like moving the needle, you know, significantly, like with, in regards to like revenue or anything, like, I just think it was, it was a cool thing to work on. So um, the process in, in doing that, and I hope that this is helpful for, um, you know, aspiring designers uh, or, or anyone who's interested to learn um, about the design process. Um, we uh, met with the Spotify designers, which is really cool because we, they came to our office in Seattle and we also went over to their office in uh, New York City um, and spent time with them. So what we did initially was you define the problem and you create user stories. So uh, the, the problem, I guess, uh, for us was people wanna know what's playing in the store and they either have to get up and ask someone what's playing. And you know, that can be a little challenging because baristas are working and they're, you know, it gets busy and sometimes people are reluctant to even go up there and, and talk to them or, or bother them uh, sometimes you know, they do and that's fine. And, um, uh, but th this was like, this was the current, uh, you know, I think experience was, was people were either not asking or they'd have to get up and ask. So, um, we had to figure out, okay, what ways could we get that information and bring it to your phone? So there was a lot of brainstorming there. Um, and you know, thinking about the user journeys, like what kinds of people 
come into Starbucks? Like, are they students? Are they uh, people coming in from their, you know, coming in from their break at work? Are, do they have headphones in? You know, there's all these things to think about. Um, like, are they even hearing the music? And, and so we kind of mapped out both the problem and the, the people that we're solving this problem for, um, and then started trying to design around what already existed and what, what, what were the limitations. So um, what already existed obviously is the Starbucks app. So that's something we're gonna use obviously to uh, you know, display what's playing and we also have uh, the Spotify app. So, you know, you want to connect the two uh, together if you want to, if you want them to walk away with a, uh, the song on a playlist. And there is the physical side of it, right? There's the, uh, yeah. I think it was the play network system. So the music that plays in Starbucks is like run on this like computer and, and, you know, how do you get that music to talk to, how do you get that computer or, or that system to talk to the mobile app and how do you get, so everything needed to connect essentially. Um, so there was that uh, side of the problem that we had to solve. Um, but yeah, I mean, we went to their office and I, I remember we had uh, a few days where we just sat in a room and brainstormed and um, sketched things out and, you know, there's, when, you, when you're sketching on a whiteboard, like you just assume that anything goes and, and, and you want to try and, uh, you know, get some kind of foundation going and then you can start, you know, chipping away or, or adding some details and um, things start to take shape and it becomes clear what, um, what you're going to probably end up building. Um, and, and we took it from you know the the wire frames or the the sketching on a whiteboard to more like low fidelity mocks so we in real time just, you know we had our sketch was open and we were getting in there and just making boxes and shapes and trying to uh design what this experience would look like um and then over time uh you know you kind of rinse and repeat that a little bit like you 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 work in low fidelity whether it's sketches or, uh, you know, wireframes or boxes shapes on your screen to a little bit more higher fidelity, you add a little bit more detail um, as you learn more. Uh, you know, we, we also did, uh, which is a huge uh, thing and, and very important is interviewing. Um, you, you do interviews with customers and ask them about the thing that you're building and, um, you know, if that would be something they would use or if that would uh, benefit their their experience in Starbucks. And, and we found that, you know, that, that people would be interested in this product or this feature. And, um, you know, you ask them questions about how would they use it. And, and um, you try to validate some of your assumptions and um, you also gain more insight and direction about how you should go about designing this feature. Um, so that helped a lot as well. And uh, yeah, you, you continue that, you get a little bit more high fidelity. Uh, obviously you wanna 
communicate and present internally. And, and we would do that both at Starbucks and Spotify. And, um, you know, you get different feedback from different corners of the company. And, um, you know, that's kind of a formal thing and kind of happens everywhere. So, so we, we went through that process and, um, yeah, eventually you get to something that is a working prototype or a build, you, you know, engineers, um, are, are, uh, you know, most of the time, uh, brought in early, um, where you can talk through some of your, your thinking and they can understand how on their end, how they're going to, uh, build out that environment or, or, yeah. uh, engineer the experience. And, uh, yeah, we, we got to a point, I think it was, I might be wrong on this timing, but it, it might've been like six months or so that we spent working on it, um, from beginning to end. Um, but yeah, you, you get to a point where it's, it's functioning. We went out and tested it. We would, uh, Oh, I missed the most important part is like connecting it is um, we just did geolocation. So uh, we know every Starbucks cafe, like obviously where it's located and the play network system that's playing the music, we know which store is playing that song because they're all playing different things. So if we know that and we know, um, and you've given, um, you've accepted like the permission for your location on your Starbucks app. We can just sur- we can just surface the song based on knowing, you know, you're in, you're in this Starbucks. So we know this song's playing. Here's the song that's playing. We'd show the artwork and, um, uh, the, the, you know, CTA to add, add the song to your, um, to your Spotify playlist. And if you had a Spotify account, it was like a really nice uh, solution that we came up with where it just uh, connects the apps together and it's a really smooth thing. If you don't have Spotify, we would prompt you to sign up, um, which I think is great for Spotify. And um, yeah, so yeah, we would test it, went out to the store. It was, it was magic. It felt really cool to like, like, you know, be a part of something like that where you're thinking of this idea, like, you know, this concept and then going out to a Starbucks, like, you know, I went by myself just to like go do it. And it was so cool to like like open my phone and be like, yeah, that's the song that's playing. It's just showing up on my phone. I didn't have to do anything. Like, you know, that was what I was saying was like even cooler, like Shazam, you have to like, you know, press a button and like, okay, listen to this song. You're trying to like get it to hear, like it didn't have to listen. It knew by the location. So I just opened my phone and there the song was and, added it to a playlist and I was listening to it in my headphones like immediately. So it's just a really, really cool, like digital and real world experience. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's why that one stands out. I think it's just cause it blends the two together. Really nice. And I love that. Um, it's also make, it, it mixes in a way with your music background <laughs> and I'm so stoked. I'm so stoked. <laughs> like when they said, we're partnering with Spotify. I was like, let's go like sign me up. Like I'm ready. And, um, <laughs> I will say like, it was like mesmerizing to be in their office and to work with their designers. They, they have like some of the most talented designers at that company and, um, their the environment there was just super cool. Like I remember, this is funny. I remember being at the New York office 
thinking, because I was looking around, I was like, everyone looks like they play in a band. Like everyone looks like everyone looks like they're famous or like plays music. And as I was saying that, like the band churches, like they were walking by. Like, and that's why I had that thought and I said that. I was like, everybody looks and then I was like, oh well, I guess it's because they are musicians. Yeah. Like <laughs> churches was visiting the office and uh, I guess had done like a, a Spotify sessions thing. So yeah. um, we just so happened to be there at the same time. So it was, um, it was cool. But yeah, I was, I was all about it. <laughs> uh, man, and uh, also uh, on that topic, I actually have two questions for you. Uh, so the first is, um, so for example, this is a good example of a feature that it's hard to link to a major KPI of the business, or it, it's very much linked with uh, delight, right? So yeah. especially for uh, companies that are like not super uh, in a, a really high degree of maturity in design, how do you pitch like these delight, feature, delight features to stakeholders? And if I can ask already the second question uh, uh, is also like, this is a very super fluid, um, nice process but it, uh, like it this and this was a big project like a six-month project and it went like from like really in the beginning to get to know the problem and and do all these research um so does this happen all the time for someone that doesn't it's not working as a designer yet is this is it always like this is it all is the process always so fluid yeah um so to answer the first question about pitching like a delight kind of experience over something that improves kpis um i guess it depends on the company and the leadership and the goals of the company it just depends i think this one was interesting because it came from um you know the ceo of the company wanting um like a, a feature like this knowing that you know, hey, this isn't to like make a ton of money. This is just to like make a good thing that people might like. And that's, that resonated with me as a designer because I was like, I think that should happen more often. Um, and, and that's why I was excited to work on it. So I think that that thing doesn't, it, maybe I'm wrong, but like, I think that's rarer to see that come from the, like a, from leadership. Um, but on the other, on the flip side, um, presenting something that, that, it's, that is a, uh, a feature like that uh, to the company, you obviously want to communicate the value of it. And depending on the leadership of the company, if they can align with that value of uh, doing something good for the user, even though it, you know, doesn't necessarily mean um, you know, uh, it's more money or revenue or whatever, or user growth. Like, um, I, I, I think, I think that when you make good things, you get those, you, you get those KPIs or it helps, or you get those, uh, it does grow your audience over time. Um, maybe not single-handedly, maybe it's not the biggest, most obvious thing, but I think the accumulation of good experiences and good design and good products, like, I think that that in the long term, that does convert, um, positively to a company. So I think if you can 
communicate that and the value of it and why it's important and it's something that that would enhance the experience for the customer or for the user um yeah i think if if leadership can align with that and um you know and if you have them if the company has the means and the resources to make it happen um obviously there's different scenarios and and, and different things happening so it may not be viewed as a priority even if you know they align with the the value or the or the goal of what you're trying to do um it just depends so um and and i experienced that firsthand at snapchat a lot like we would and we would make things that uh enhanced the the experience for the user just because it was a good thing to make and um we saw uh positive positive outcomes from that uh all the time um so and 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 evan at snapchat i think sees that uh and and values that a lot um so that that's like uh that was a good thing to uh kind of experience um and that's a great question. Um, your second question, remind me what it was because I was just talking so long. I feel like I keep rambling on it. <laughs> uh, so yeah, man, the question was regarding like the problem in the process you mentioned about that case in Starbucks. Oh, and it's just about how like like that was a very good example of of a case that went very fluidly, but in real life, like. What is that always the case? Is it not? Um, yeah. yeah. So it's not every day that you get a cool project. And, um, and I, I know that feeling and, you know, I know my first project was, was Reba and like country music artist, uh, which was cool, but like, what I didn't mention is like all of the other projects that come that or that came after that and that come in between the cool projects. You mostly get things that, you know, might be interesting to solve and might, you know, you might have fun with, but like they might not always be the most, you know, exciting thing or or cool thing to work on. And that's okay. Um, you know. It just obviously it depends on on where you're designing, um, and you know if you want to be working on cooler things, then try to move towards uh, the companies where those things are being made um, or the things that just interest you. Because I think interesting projects or or big projects or cool projects like that, you know, depends on the person. Um, but for me. Uh, working on Reba McIntyre's website, that was pretty cool. Um, but there, but there are other, there are other projects, um, that I found to be kind of, you know, mundane and like, you know, it was kind of boring and, and, you know, I wasn't super interested in the client or, um, whatever it, it was, but like some of the other designers that I was working with, like loved it. And like, you know, those designers might have thought that the the Reba thing was, you know, a bummer to work on. So like, it just depends on on the person, I guess. But the big projects, like th those, will come, and the cool projects, those will come. 
Um, but what I had to like get used to is like, yeah, there's going to be a lot of, a lot of other things because like design, uh, your is problem solving for, for people and at least product design is, and, uh, that, you know, if that doesn't get you excited then maybe, you know, maybe it's not for you, but, but, um, you know, there's always going to be cool stuff. There's always going to be stuff that's not as cool, but what's a constant for me at least is, uh, solving problems and, 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 you know, trying to make those experiences as best they can, uh, or as best they can be for, for people. Awesome. And speaking of uh, like uh, a bit before you were talking about Snapchat and I, talking to you, obviously I wanted to touch on, uh, on this topic as well, because uh, at least I don't, I hope I'm not saying something stupid, but I think like UX, uh, uh, Snapchat has like a very particular um, UX and I think even breaks some, some like common design patterns. And I, I find it a very interesting app from a product design perspective. And so I'd like to know a little bit more like of your experience at Snapchat, um, how it was designed, like what's the design mentality there? Uh, yeah. Like how were some of the decisions made? Like if you could shed some light on, on these things, uh, I think it could be super interesting. Sure, yeah. Um, well, Snapchat was made long before I joined, but um, it was started by Evan Spiegel and Bobby Murphy. Uh, they went to Stanford together and, you know, I, I, I don't know all the ins and outs and the details, but a lot of, a lot of designers on the team went to school with them and, um, were around in the early days and, uh, designed a great product that over time became very popular with specifically young people. And, uh, I think that's still true today. Uh, my time at Snapchat, uh, I, I joined a kind of uh, an exciting time, I think, where uh, the company was, you know, they were one of the most popular apps in the app store. Uh, this is like 2016 and, you know, stories could come out and they were using and lenses were out. And I myself was using Snapchat before I joined like a lot. And which is why I, I applied there and, and tried to get a job. And um, I, I enjoyed it. The people that work there enjoy it everyone uses it um and it was right before we uh went public so um it was kind of the the end the lasting days of you know being a private company or a startup i guess they were kind of moving out of that phase and into becoming a a private or a, a public company and um you know it was it was changing and things were changing and um, Instagram had just released their version of stories. So now, uh, you know, the game kind of changed. There was some competition, big competition. And, um, that meant, you know, for us at Snapchat, like, what are we going to do? That was something like that came up a lot, uh, with my peers and other people that come to me. It's like, what are we going to do? about our competitors, this, this like copy of, of our feature. And um, to get into a little bit about like how things work at Snapchat and why I enjoyed working there is Evan Spiegel, he, you know, is very close to the design team. He 
you know, works very closely with us and, you know, we would meet with him multiple times a week to present work or to pitch ideas, but he created a culture at the company specifically on the design team to always like innovate. And, and, and that was like the response. That was his response to anyone who asked, well, what do we do about this company or this competitor or this, you know, app that's coming out? Um, and he would just say like, we're going to out innovate them. We're going to, uh, keep going. Like, you know, you, you don't need to stop and get distracted and try to like, you know, you got to pick your battles and you, and you don't want to like waste time in a, and you know, suing somebody for copying you or for, you know, or, or, or like uh, chasing after a single feature, like go forward, keep moving um, because you're already ahead of them. Um, and, and, and that's, you know, kind of, the, the culture that, that was created there. And, and that was what I experienced working there, which is, it's, it's fun, a little stressful, but um, you know, he kept us on our toes uh, and, and we would be uh, empowered to think of uh, different ideas for the app, no matter how conventional or unconventional they were, um, you know, and, and back to kind of what I was saying or what we were talking about uh, with, like delight, delightful experiences that is like Snapchat values that so much. And I think that they are a perfect example of a company that, um, that implements that into their product. Um, you know, you can do both. You can focus on growth, um, and, and hitting KPIs while, uh, creating, really good uh, experiences that make people happy too. That was, that was another thing um, about Snap that, that you know, uh, made me want to go work there is because it, it was a product that made me happy to use. I talked to my close friends and I, you know, uh, otherwise I'm not like filming myself on my phone, but Snapchat made me feel comfortable doing that. And I think that's true for a lot of people. So, um, yeah, that's kind of like that, that was my like high level experience working there. Um, so I think, I think it was, it's pretty cool. I think it, it's, I still talk to a lot of people there and think all of that's still intact. Yeah. So. Yeah, man, that, that's so cool. You know, like Snapchat is such a, a popular app and it's such a cool product that it's super nice to like know a little bit more about what's the culture there and how were things built. And this also reminds me that, um, you know, like before, like a few years ago when, when my girlfriend and I were just friends, we used to talk a lot on Snapchat. So oh, I guess well, in a way I kind of oh, owe yeah. that to you. Well, <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, definitely not my doing, uh, alone at all um, but it, it's a, there's so many talented smart people at that company and um, I you know I don't I'm not there anymore but I, I could not cheer for them harder on the sideline like I just love seeing them succeed and um, I just had such a fun time designing and making stuff there um, and yeah it's, it's cool it's cool to hear you say that and I think I think that that's 
I mean, that's, that's true not only for you, but I think for a lot of people and the people that work at that company, like they have that same feel. Like we're all kind of like, we're all the users. So um, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so something that's also occurring to me right now is, uh, man, you've worked in like many different companies like very distinct distinct from one another. You worked at Snapchat, which has this culture of delighting users, but you also did the agency work. You worked in big design teams. You worked in smaller ones. So I think a, an interesting question to ask you is like, what are the differences in your day-to-day -day when you're designing for a product that's already existing, like Starbucks or Snapchat, or yeah. when you're building something from scratch, like you did, like you're doing now with, with yeah. Bibi? That's a, yeah, that's a really good question. Yeah. Um, I think I wanted to say that designing a product from scratch is harder, but I don't know that it is. There's part of me that thinks it might actually be easier. <laughs> um, and my experience with, with Quibi was, um, you know, it, it was starting from the beginning and starting from scratch and uh, having kind of a blank canvas to, to, you know, put your ideas on. And um, I think that's really good for creatives to have that start. Because um, you can, you know exactly where you came from and where you started from. Um, it's easy to go back and fix things and move forward. Uh, whereas, at a company like Starbucks, for instance, like that company has been around for quite a while. Um, the app had been around for maybe a decade, maybe less. Um, yeah, not a decade, less than a decade, but it had been around for a while. Um, and yeah, it like it, it's challenging to uh it can be challenging to design a company that has existing products or is an existing app that has its own baggage and history and old design and you know i feel like every every existing app is a constant work in progress so if you join a company uh to go work on that product or that app you're you're coming in in the middle of it's just it feels like it's always the transition from like old to new so you're kind of wedged in the middle of like trying to like pull like you know maybe the elements or the foundation of what works and what has worked in the past and bring it forward and, and maybe rethink some things or redesign visually some things um and that can be challenging because there are limitations or restrictions of what you can and can't change um, for whatever reason. Um, whether it's, you know, you know, we can change everything about this feature, but this core piece of it seems to work, or this core piece of it, you know, affects this piece over here, and we can't focus on that right now because we don't have the resources or the time. So let's just like put a bandaid on it or, or let's just try and like, you know, make it work in the, you know, environment we're in right now. And then we'll eventually, you know, you gotta be strategic and, um, you know, 
do things in increments, which for me is hard because, you know, like I want to just do it all right and, and change it immediately, but that's just not reality. You have to do things incrementally, um, which that I think is, uh, can be challenging um, when you join a company uh, that's already existing. We're back to like something that's just, you know, new and you, you've started, it's easier to make changes, especially if you're not out in the wild yet and you don't have users, you're just like, you're building something. You can, you, you kind of have that luxury of um, going back and changing things or, uh, um, you know, you can, you can move more quickly. Um, so that, that is kind of my take on it. I, I really enjoyed designing, uh, Quibi. Um, it's like, I'm, I have a lot of pride around it and, um, you know, I also have the same feelings with the other things I've worked on, but, um, you know, it can get, it can get difficult to, to design, um, already existing things, but that's most things that, that, uh, are out in the world. Uh, I think the opportunity to do something from the ground up is, um, not super common. So, um, I feel very fortunate to have been able to design Quibi, um, with our small team and, uh, but also, you know, honored to have contributed to Snapchat and Starbucks and Lonely Planet. Um, but yeah, they all kind of have their pros and cons. I guess the cons of like, you know, um, of doing something from the ground up like Quiddy is the very thing that makes it cool and fun is you are starting from nothing. So you have to make everything like everything needs to be made. And that was like the most challenging part. And like, you know, but as, as you go on and as you, build you build momentum you build foundations and it gets easier um and then you do kind of slip into a little bit of what you experience coming into a product is like oh we did that thing six months ago it's a little harder to change because we've come so far but um but it's mostly just the daunting task of like creating everything because it doesn't exist yet so where at Snapchat, you have the luxury of like, well, we've got users and we've got a foundation, we've got a working app, like, um, you know, it's pros and cons, so. Yeah, man, uh, super nice. And I think I'm gonna ask you my, my, my last question. And so you started in product design almost like around eight years ago, nine years ago. So if you had to, if you had to talk to yourself back then when you were starting and there's a lot of people in this situation about to start or they're starting, they're still junior. So what would be the, the advice you'd give to yourself yeah. and to these people starting in product design? Don't be afraid to ask questions. Um, I think that that was something that, you know, starting out in design, I was, I was intimidated. I had imposter syndrome. I didn't feel like I, you know, I, I didn't know what I was doing and I shouldn't be here. And someday somewhere, someone's going to figure me out and, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be doing this anymore. But I think, you know, to some extent 
uh, everyone has a little bit of imposter syndrome because everybody's, I've, I've said this before, but um, everybody's trying to figure it out and do their best. So I think, I think we all experience a little bit of that um, from time to time. And um, I would say the other things that I would tell myself is be patient. I think I was uh, very, you know, I, very motivated, but also very impatient and wanted to get to the next thing or to reach my goals. And, and, you know, I, I also had to remind myself like, okay, Trevor, you, you're the one that took the year off from school. You dropped out like this. You've made this uh, a little harder on yourself. And so um, I think I had, you know, that was a little challenging at times, um, whether, whether or not that was reality or that was just myself projecting that, you know, idea of, you know, you made this harder on yourself, um, which, which made me impatient, I think. Um, and then I think the other thing is, uh, I would tell myself not to take myself so seriously. Um, and I think that kind of comes, uh, with the territory of being a young designer and, and, and not knowing, you know, how to, how to, like, I didn't have any, obviously didn't have any prior experience. I didn't know what, how does a designer act? How does a designer talk? Like, and I thought that there was a, a way, there was like a certain way. And what I've learned is there is no way, there is not a way to talk. There is not a, like designers are people and people are different. And that is what I learned. Um, and that helped me, you know, understand that I don't need to, I don't need to be someone who I'm not, I can be myself. Um, and it took me a, a bit to figure that out. Probably around when I joined Starbucks, I, I realized, cause I looked around me and I was like, we're just like some people hanging out, making stuff. Like that's all it is. And when you can like, you know, get past all of the corporate bullshit, like, you know, it, that's, that's what it is. And that's what it's always been. Not only just design, but anything I feel like. Um, so, and I will say that like, um, to that point, uh, a friend of mine at Starbucks, Brian Clark had mentioned to me before he um, went on to go work um, at Khan Academy, he said, uh, you know, Trevor, some advice. Uh, I know you're just joining Starbucks, but just so you know, um, nobody knows what they're doing here. And I don't think he meant that in like a malicious way or like a negative way or a jaded way. It was, I think he was just trying to, and he elaborated, he was just trying to say like, I think that everybody's just trying to figure it out. And, you know, everybody has questions and that's like, you know, to the point of like, don't be afraid to ask questions. Like there were so many times where I was too afraid to ask the questions because I felt like I would look stupid or I would like look like, you know, I didn't know what I was doing and that would confirm my, you know, uh, fear of, of, you know, being an imposter. Um, so he, he just reminded me that, that like, we're all trying our best and, and, and um, you know, everybody has that 
feeling uh, from time to time. And, and so that has, I've, I've, you know, taken that advice everywhere I've gone um, since then. And it's made navigating uh, through my career and being a designer, it's, it's made it so much easier um, and, and pleasant and it's taken a weight off of my shoulders. Like it's, it's allowed me to be my authentic self, have fun and meet and design with amazing people. And, and that's, that's why I wanted to, to do this in the first place. So, yeah. Yeah, man, it's uh, super nice what you just said. And you know, a lot of the things you're, you're saying, like I, I'm either going through them or I've been through them like very recently. And I, I actually got like a very similar, um, well, not advice, but I, I heard the same like from a, a more experienced designer in my current company say, yeah, no, no, one's, no one knows what they're doing. We're just trying to figure it out, right? And like th this helps a lot, you know, when, when someone tells you that it, it gives you some reassurance. So, and also something that, that kind of helps me, helps me is like to try to just, so if we don't know the answer, just try to do your best thinking critically, like, like yeah. the process of getting to the answer, right? Um, so yeah, exactly. no, because no yeah. one has the answers. There's, um, you know, some people are better at it than others. And some people are, you know, better at, at, at you know, faking it or, or whatever, or, or, you know, playing that game. But I think to some extent, everybody experiences that. And, and you don't, especially starting out, you don't know that you don't realize that like I came in, at least for me, I came in thinking like, everybody's a pro, they know everything about this industry, about design. I need to learn so much and I'm afraid to even say anything because, or ask these questions because what if they look at me like, well, what happened? Like, why are you even here? If you're like, you don't know are asking that ridiculous question. So, um, yeah, just being reminded of that. And I tell uh, any designer that I meet uh, or anyone who is aspiring to be a designer that like, just like, just know that, um, that your, your feelings of whether it be insecurity or, um, you know, this whole, this whole idea of, you know, not knowing what you're doing. Like, I just remind them that like, we've all, we've all been there. We've all experienced it. And, and if anything, we, we still experience it, um, from time to time and, and, and that's normal and that's okay. And once you know that it kind of unlocks and disarms some of this stuff. Um, and it allows you to like, do your, like, like your craft and like, and be efficient and have more fun doing it. Um, yeah, that, that's what it did for me. It just made, it confirmed, you know, my, I guess, decision in coming into design and it, and it made it enjoyable. And, and I realized like, yep, this is, I made the right choice, I think. So. Yeah, man, I, I really think this ability to, to be vulnerable is key to grow. Um, yeah, so, man, thank you so much, Trevor, for uh, the time, the advice, the super interesting conversation. 
Uh, it was really nice to have you here and talk to you. And I thank you. It was an honor. Thank you for having me. Hey guys, so I hope you liked it. This was the first episode of Zero to UX. Uh, if you want to stay in the loop and, and check more interviews, just follow the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, whatever platform you're using. Um, also check our LinkedIn or Instagram page to interact with us and tell us what you want to hear. And also you can follow me on Medium, that's Bernardo Dominguez. Contas me deita, contas me levanta, comigo eu calo, comigo eu canto.